This is Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy. Summer Episodes. Your chance to revisit some of your favorites. Listen, laugh, and learn. And today on the show, we will bring back a fan favorite, expressions. We will delve into the world of inventions. Tasty food, tidbits, and also fashion. And of course, we'll open up the mailbag. Totally useless information it's everything you never needed to know where do expressions come from we want to know right now thank you for joining us and to all the cities around the world more people get useless information from our show than any other source isn't that great we're number one when it comes to useless all over the world now, 52 countries. And counting. Crazy. In fact, we took a straw man poll and we asked every single one of them. So my first expression is straw man poll. A common <laughs> but false etymology is that it refers to men who stood outside courthouses with straw in their shoe to signal their willingness to be a false witness. But no, the online etymology dictionary states that the term Man of straw can be traced as far back as 1620 as an easily refuted imaginary opponent in an argument. They're just seeing things. Uh, well, what I did for expressions this time is I did some crazy expressions. They're quickies. All right. So here's, here's, these right. are expressions. I'm on a seafood diet. If I see food, I eat it. <laughs> 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 Don't drink and drive. You could spill your beer. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. All right. That's terrible. And we don't suggest doing that. Doing nothing is hard. You never know when you're finished. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're experts at that. <laughs> that's great. Why is a prescription called an RX? The abbreviation is RX. The symbol is derived from the Latin word for recipe or recipite, which means to take. The word was later abbreviated and became RX as we know it today. Here's a cool one. I think the worst time to have a heart attack is during a game of charades. <laughs> <laughs> Alcohol doesn't solve any problems, but neither does milk. How true. The, the yeah. new ad campaign will be, got booze? <laughs> got booze? Doesn't expecting the unexpected make the unexpected expected? Try saying that 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I didn't expect that at all from you. When you deep six something, perhaps due to an association to six feet under, we're not sure, but to give something or deep six it was to throw it overboard or by extension to discard it. Deep six. This is one single one, but I thought it was great. I asked for a bike for my birthday, but I know that God doesn't work that way. So I stole a bike. And then ask God for forgiveness. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, you paid for it. You paid for it. He was uh, punishing you for it. And, you know, earlier on you were talking about booze. This is how God punishes you with the hangover. It was described <laughs> as paramada, a post-drinking condition characterized by thirst, pain in the head, which we all experience, and joints and heaviness of the body with no known cure. But the word hangover has only become associated with alcohol in the past century. It first appeared in the English Dictionary in the 19th century as an expression of describing unfinished businesses from meetings. But it was not until 1904 
that the word began to crop up in reference to alcohol. So this word has gotten around for a long time. So it was the paramida? That's funny, because in, in, in English uh, terms, we have the ah mida. Ah, mida head hurts. <laughs> <laughs> God almighty, does my head hurt. Oh, that was bad. If you can't live without me, why aren't you dead yet? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I get enough exercise right. by pushing my luck. <laughs> <laughs> Experience yeah, yeah. is a wonderful thing. It enables you to recognize a mistake when you make it over and over and over again. <laughs> Those are hilarious. I think I just came up with one. So I'm not a betting man. I just don't like my chances. <laughs> I literally just came up with that right now. Very good. Thank you very much. So write that one down. I'm not a betting man because I don't like my chances. You're listening to Totally Useless Information. Nick, with Nick, information. Nick. If it doesn't get funnier the second time around. <laughs> I'm not a betting man. Is it funnier the third time? Third time's a charm. <laughs> no, don't please. No. You're listening to to I'll push my luck. You're listening to Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy. Uh, thank you to all the listeners around the world, as we mentioned, including Estero, Florida, Fairmont, West Virginia, and Stephen Points, Wisconsin. Innovation. Ideas. The Totally Useless Information Podcast presents Inventions. Roughly 2,000 years ago, a Chinese cook was experimenting with charcoal, sulfur, and saltpeter trying to get a better burn from the fire so he could cook better with it. But instead, it exploded. And what he had invented was black powder. Could you see the face on this guy? Could you just see his face? Okay, I'm gonna gonna cook now, and he puts the flame to it. And boom, blows his little skin off. But that's actually from a movie. That is not a racist statement I just made. That is from a movie, um, The Pink Panther. Okay, that. But but honestly, because of that explosion and the pot flying, that was the first Chinese delivery. Uh, it was beef and broccoli and. <laughs> Wound up in somebody's house like a mile away. <laughs> yes. The first Uber Eats, thanks to <laughs> a straitjacket. And this is what Roy and I are um, on today's show. Our wardrobe is provided by the Straitjacket Company. Invented in Paris in 1790. <laughs> was, you know how they say that? You know, uh, fashion, uh, you know, so-and-so's news anchor fashion is uh, brought to you by... Tom's Place. Invented in Paris, the straitjacket in 1790, where it was referred to as a commissal de force, the straitjacket was considered a humane advance to the chains in use previously to restrain unruly and dangerous patients. The straitjacket was designed as a jacket with full-length sleeves, which a patient could wear and have each arm crossed over and fastened at the back. Yeah, that's more humane to ensure they could not cause self-harm or injure others. Wow. In 1948, Swiss engineer George de Mestral was out hunting with his dogs when he noticed that plant burrs, those little things that get stuck to you, had stuck to his wool pants. Now, he was wearing wool pants, and it was super hard to get them off. He washed the pants. They didn't come off. He literally had to pick them off to get them off. He noticed that the barbed ends of the burrs hooked into the wool perfectly. What he didn't know at the time 
was that he had invented Velcro, which he would later uh-huh. patent and sell as Velcro. That's pretty cool. I thought maybe because it was cold. All the burr. We've all worked with plywood. In 1797, Samuel Betham applied for patents covering several machines to produce veneers. In his patent applications, he described the concept of laminating several layers of veneer with glue to form a thicker piece. The first description of what we now know as plywood. Bentham was a British naval engineer with many shipbuilding inventions to his credit. So he went ahead and invented plywood. Thank you, Samuel. Mm. By gluing wood together. Smart man. Made it stronger. Did you know Leonardo da Vinci drew amazing amounts of inventions? I think most people know that. But did you know that he drew the scissor, the helicopter, a winged wagon that resembles a plane, and hundreds of others? But did you know this, and this is the wild part, he never, ever built one of them. Never built any of them. He just, he was an artist, so he just drew them. It wasn't until hundreds of years later that people would try to build them. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. I like that one. That that was Leonardo Leonardo da Vinci. I, I just drew the sketch, and uh, one a day people are going to build my stuff. That was an actual audio. Re- <laughs> that was an actual audio recording from Leonardo da Vinci. I don't know if you noticed that. Drew a little pill, and he says, "One a day, people are gonna take this vitamin." <laughs> Mamma mia, it's Viagra. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Mamma mia, my pencil is up. <laughs> Airtight food preservation. Nicholas Appert was a French inventor. Your favorite kind of people, French. He was an Mm -hmm. inventor of the airtight food preservation system. Appert described his invention as a way to conserve all kinds of food substances in containers. He began experimenting with ways to preserve foodstuffs, including soups, vegetables, juices, dairy products, jellies, jams, and syrups. He placed the food in glass jars, sealed them with a cork and sealing wax, and placed them in boiling water, creating this airtight food preservation system. Nicholas Appert. Here's a cool one. The famed designer and architect Frank Lloyd Wright made some of the most iconic buildings of the 20th century. In fact, I think Falling Waters is my favorite building of all times. Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright is amazing. Well, this is something people probably didn't know. His son was also famous. He invented Lincoln Logs, the toy. The toy that you would build Lincoln Logs. I loved playing with that as a kid. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. That was Frank Lloyd Wright's son invented Lincoln Logs. I think over the course of us doing this show, it's a bit better than a year now, we've noticed that any inventor worth their salt had three names. Yeah, I know. Exactly. You noticed that? They always have like multiple <laughs> names. Uh, the elevator. We've all been in elevators. At the age of 40... This gentleman was cleaning up his factory, and he wondered how he would be able to get old debris to the upper levels of the factory. He had heard of hoisting platforms, but they weren't reliable because they often... Viagra? No, 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 no. Not that kind of lifting, uplifting, and and hoisting. (laughs) But these often broke and was willing to take the risks. He and his sons were also tinkerers designed their own safety elevator and tested it, and they were successful. He initially thought so little of it that he never patented or requested a bonus from his superiors for inventing it. 
nor did he try to sell it. But after having made several sales, Otis took the opportunity to make an elevator company out of it, initially called Union Elevator Works, and later turned to Otis Brothers and Company. That that uh, company had its ups and downs. Yes, it did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't want to go there. I figured, let me not go there because that's really, you know, that's a cheesy joke. But, you know, you went there. Yeah, I'll go cheesy. I don't yeah, care. Yeah, you know, because I am a betting man because, you know, I just don't like my chances. <laughs> <laughs> He's good. That's the third time's a job. You're listening, <laughs> you're listening to Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy. We also want to welcome listeners from... From Manchester, Vermont, Bancor, United Kingdom, across the seas. We have listeners in the Philippines, Turkey, the Russian Federation, and India. Thank you very much for listening. Our website is on fire, www.nickandroy.com. You can send us emails and get in touch with us from there and see what's going on. It's the place to be. Your weekly sweet and savory facts of totally useless information with Nick and Roy. Come and get it! In 1973, this company was the first to put labels on their food cans. Del Monte was the first major food processor in the United States to include nutrition labels on products. The Del Monte brand was introduced in 1892 as the brand name for a line of canned peaches. The Del Monte name has been used as early as 1886 for a premium blend of coffee prepared for the Hotel Del Monte. And so that's where you get the word Del Monte from because they serve coffee in that hotel, Hotel Del Monte, on the Monterey Peninsula. An astronaut took a corned beef sandwich on a space flight. It was smuggled on the ship, and when he took it out, it began to crumble and fall apart. Of course, he had to put it away quickly because he didn't want the crumbs to get inside buttons and compromise the ship. So, he ate it a week later. When he got back, he said it wasn't going to go to waste because he said, this is lean. The corned beef is lean. It's like a schmear. I put a schmear on it and a pickle. It's great. I have a little matzo soup with it. No, but can you imagine an astronaut actually smuggled a corned beef sandwich I mean, I could. I like corned beef sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and because he got into so much trouble, he got into a pickle from NASA for smuggling the sandwich up into space. Yeah. My goodness. So if you've been to a diner, and we all have been in our lifetime, and um, there's certain lingo that they use. Diner lingo, in fact, is a kind of American verbal slang used by cooks and chefs in diners and diner-style restaurants usually also by, uh, by the wait staff to communicate their orders to the cooks. So I have some examples of some diner lingo. Bad breath means onions. Bow wow hmm. is either a hot dog or a tube steak. Italian perfume? You say tube steak? Tube steak, yes. A bow wow <laughs> is a tube steak. <laughs> it's a tube steak. <laughs> That's what it says. This is diner lingo. This is not me making this up. This is not me making a joke. It's a tube steak as a bow wow or a hot dog. Italian perfume is garlic. A radio sandwich. I don't know where this comes from, but a radio sandwich is a tuna fish sandwich. A squeal is a ham. If you order ham, it's a squeal. That makes sense. A wet mystery is when I usually cook. It's called beef stew. And, a wet mystery. Yes, as beef stew. And finally, shingles with a shimmy and a shake is buttered toast with jam. Could you imagine them saying, 
just pack one tube steak into a wet dream. <laughs> no, no, a wet mystery. <laughs> wet mystery. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. I like to order a tube steak with a wet mystery with a side of squeal, mm. with Italian perfume, and a couple of shingles with a chamois and a shake. Oh, my God. <laughs> with the lean corned beef and pickle. Okay. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Remember the guy at the diner that we used to go to? He used yeah. to go, Nushash, Nushash. I give you the pickles, Nushash. Nushash. Yeah, his name was George, Nushash. actually. His name was George. George. Well, yeah. of course, George. he was Greek. Yes. <laughs> it was a Greek diner. It was a great place. In ancient Egypt, the uh, radishes, onions, garlic, and other vegetables were given to workers as wages. Oh, the good old days when you worked someone almost to death and then threw them a salad as compensation and told them to come back tomorrow. <laughs> Could you yeah. <laughs> imagine they gave them a basket, like a small little basket of food as wages? Yeah, and if they're using Dynalingo, hey, what, what did you get paid today? I got paid with a squeal and Italian perfume. I got a tube steak and a schmear. <laughs> <laughs> And guess how I carried it home. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So here on Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy, every once in a while, I know it's called Totally Useless Information, but here's some useful information for you. <laughs> Sorry, it's a little dusty in here. I haven't used it in a long time. So this useful information on totally useless information. So I'm talking about bread tags. If you go to the supermarket and you check out the little tags that are at the ends of, of the loaves of bread, if you check out the color of the little tags, it represents the day of the week that the bread was baked. This is to help the stock clerks what bread is old and what needs to be removed from the shelves. So it's a color coding system, and it goes like this. Monday is blue. If the bread is baked on a Tuesday, it's green. They skip Wednesday for some reason. Maybe they have the day off. But Thursday is red, Friday is white, and Saturday is yellow. So if you can't remember mm. the color coding, it's in alphabetical order. So making it one less thing for you to forget when you cruise the, through the aisles. You check out the bread tags, and the color is associated with when it was baked. And also you can check what date is the best before date. little helpful information for you. What day is green, you said? Green is Tuesday. I usually throw my bread out when it's green. <laughs> <laughs> in Japan, chefs train for over two years in order to learn how to serve and prepare puffer fish. The fish is delicious, but prepared the wrong way could be deadly. Ooh. Now, could you just see... This Japanese restaurant full of dead people. Yes, it's a great restaurant, but the, the turnover is really low. <laughs> it's a meal you'll never forget. Uh, strawberries are the only fruit that wear their seeds on the outside. The average Ooh, berry. That's cool. Yep, the average berry is adorned with some 200 seeds. No wonder it only takes one bite to get one of those little bugger seeds in your teeth. Over 200 seeds on the outside of the strawberry. Cool. Now, this is one that makes me very, very, very happy. I'm happy right now. Anytime I get to stick it to the French, it excites me. <laughs> He's going to stick his tube steak to the French. Wee <laughs> wee. Oui, oui. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Anytime I get to stick it to the French, I really do love it because the French love to stick it to everybody else. Uh -huh. So here it is, guys. French fries 
originated in Belgium. No. The one no. thing the one thing that I always joke around and I go, I like French fries. French fries originated in Belgium. And the only reason they're called French fries because the Belgian chef that started them cut them in a French way on an angle, you know, a, a, a julienne angle. So he called them French cut potatoes. And they eventually became French fries. So for now, every time I go to McDonald's, I go into the box and I go, I'll have a Big Mac and... Um, some Belgian fries. <laughs> <laughs> if you really want to blow people's minds, do it. so do Belgian waffles come from France? Is that what it is? Well, tough on them. I call them Belgian waffles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you'd like for us to... Uh, they make my French toast, my French toast jealous. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. We hope you're enjoying the Totally Useless Information Summer Series. It's a chance to listen back to some of your favorite episodes. And we'll be back soon with a brand new season five. Oh, yeah. We'll have more guests and new topics. And you're always welcome to suggest a topic for us to explore. Simply go to nickandroy.com. Now back to Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy, the Summer Series. Something completely useless. Okay. Here's one I thought was pretty useless and interesting. Marie Curie, or known as Madame Curie, mm -hmm. as she was known, was the mother of physics and best known for her work on radioactive material and other elements, like plutonium and radium. But here's the useless fact. Her notebook today sits in a museum behind glass, and till this day, it is still radioactive. Wow. There are still, wow. it can, if you put a Geiger counter on her notebook, it will test for radioactivity till this day. So they don't have to provide any lighting when it's on display because it glows in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that was a pretty cool, useless fact. It is. But here's something useful. If you'd like to get a hold of us, it's really easy. Go to our website, nickandroy.com, and you click on the tab that says Contact Us. And you send us an email. So either you can ask us a question or if you want some clarification on something that we've said on our show. And that happens a lot. NickAndRoy.com. What's in the mailbag? What's in the mail? I guess uh, somebody went on uh, NickAndRoy.com and sent us <laughs> Jessica went, sure, Jessica from South Jordan, Utah, went to NickAndRoy.com and sent, sent us an email. And uh, she wrote, Dear Nick and Roy, we love listening to your show every week. We are amazed by how much useless information you guys know. That's a compliment, isn't it? <laughs> I think so. You guys are useless. Yeah, and you're good at it. Not only are you useless, but you're good at it. So thank you, Jessica. Well, here's my question. She Jessica, writes, trust me, me and Nick get enough of that in the bedroom. <laughs> Our wives tell us we're useless all the time. That's right. And oddly enough, they order a tube steak. Here's my question. <laughs> where, where did the expression, quote, hot under the collar come from? Just like this segment. Hot under the collar comes from the fact that anger or aggression generally causes a person's face and neck to become red, sweaty, and hot. Since the collar covers the neck, 
the collar becomes hot and sweaty. And therefore, the expression hot on the collar comes from there. So thank you, Jessica from South Jordan, Utah. And once again, to all you listeners out there, including those who are listening to us in India, Finland, Seoul, South Korea, and Turkey, go to our website to email us, nickandroy.com. What's in the mail? Welcome to the Totally Useless Information Fashion Show. Everyone say uh, say to you, uh, Roy, pardon me, but your fly is open. Um, yes. In fact, most of them say, uh, pardon me, but your tube steak is showing. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you expect it to go away, Nick? <laughs> no, not at all. Because you know me, I'm not a betting man because I don't like my chances. <laughs> <laughs> So when someone's <laughs> saying that your fly is open, you're thinking, well, they're talking about your zipper. <clears throat> Wrong. That is not correct. So why is the opening of a men's trouser called the fly, I wondered? Well, the fly also comes to mean something attached by one edge, like a flag or a banner flying from a rope or a pole. With this meaning in mind, the 19th century tailors used the term fly or flap of cloth attached to one end to cover an opening in a garment. So if your fly is open, that's okay. If your zipper is open, it's not okay. Just getting some fresh air. Here's a fashion tidbit I thought was crazy. 100 years ago, now that's not a long time ago, but 100 years ago, Nick, you remember that. If a woman wore her hair with a short cut, okay, if a woman had short hair, it was thought that she was unfaithful to her husband. Now, I thought this was great because I said 100 years ago, all you had to do was look for the short-haired women and you know who fooled around. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's like, hello, how are you? <laughs> oh, hello there. <laughs> hello there, Dorothy Hamill. <laughs> Dorothy Hamill performs the triple Lutz. We perform the triple Lutz. <laughs> Yeah, they go, Nick, in that tight uh, spandex outfit, is about to look like a double sow cow as he's about to do the triple klutz. <laughs> or in Dinolingo, a squeal. Uh, sunglasses. So the famous singer and songwriter, Elton John, the great singer Elton John. You know what? You know what you just did? You just put this this horrible image in people's minds of me in a spandex, in a spandex tutu. Come on. Nick, Come on. Nick's, Nick's skating around in his spandex outfit, and the announcer goes, Nick's about to do a, a double sow cow, and, uh, oh, look, he's smuggling a tube steak. <laughs> <laughs> and the audience starts to squeal. The famous singer and songwriter Elton John has an impressive collection of glasses. Estimates of the size of his eyewear collection range anywhere from 2,000 to 250,000 pairs of sunglasses. Wow. That's a, Nick, I, I tell you, you could have narrowed it down a little bad, better than that. <laughs> I mean, 2,000 to 250,000. <laughs> Can we get in touch with him somehow to get a little more clarification <laughs> yes. on this? Is it 2,000 or two, 250,000? Could you, could you let us know exactly how much is in there? Yeah, a little bit closer. I mean, you know. All right. Around 80% of women buy shoes 
that are too small. Get ready for this. They're too small for their feet because they would like their feet to look smaller. Okay. Now, I know a lot of women who buy their jeans the same way. <laughs> but it tends to make their butt look a little bigger. <laughs> and look out if one of those uh, those little rivet uh, buttons pop, boy, it'll take your eye right out. <laughs> yes, that makes their butts look bigger. It's the Kim Kardashian collection. Mm-hmm. The first yeah. signs of lipstick was around the prehistoric times when women and men used various potent fruit and plant juices to mark their faces in religious ceremonies. They even made themselves more pretty for the opposite sex. The important reason, however, was for medicinal purposes to protect their lips from the natural elements such as dry wind, moisture, and sun because our lip tissue does not have the melanin that protects us from UV rays. In medieval times... If a woman wore green, it was because she was trying to become fertile or become pregnant. So she wore green. Maybe if she wore nothing, she would have had a little more help. (laughs) She might have piqued some male interest by walking around naked. (laughs) Well, you know what the problem was? She wore a green dress, but she also had short hair. I was just going to say, if she had nothing on and short hair, bingo. Bingo. (laughs) You're a winner. So when we got married, you got married uh, 36 years ago, is it now? 36 years? 36. Yeah. 36, uh, almost 37. And we're going to come up on 19 years uh, coming up soon. Uh, It all depends. On um, on the uh, the rest of this conversation, tuxedos. We wore mm. tuxedos at our wedding, and tuxedos likely got their name from Tuxedo Park, the first planned residential community in New York. The story has mm. it that one evening Griswold Lorillard came up with an idea to wear a short black jacket without tails. The new fashion was a hit. When male guests would come and stay with their families in Tuxedo Park, they were intrigued by the jackets the men wore and would return to places such as New York City and ask their tailors to make them a jacket, quote, just like the ones worn in Tuxedo because of the short tails. And yet now Mm -hmm. it is the most formal attire for men to wear, tuxedos. How cool. How cool. See, I mean, that's that's one that people will talk about. And being that you talked about the invention of tuxedos in 1946, the bikini was invented. But there was a problem. It was banned in many countries. In fact, the Vatican banned it and said that it was a sin to wear one. Then the Pope saw Marilyn Monroe in a bikini and he said, Oh, I think I understand that now. Uh, all the women must wear a bikini to get into the heaven. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So today on the show, we talked about <laughs> expressions, inventions, sacrilegious stuff like we just heard. We went, food, it's time. <laughs> it's now time for the news. And now, from around the corner and around the world, this. A key ally in Brazil's president has been arrested after anti-corruption officers discovered a wad of banknotes in his underpants. 
police initially <laughs> found 10,000 rias, rias, yes, rias, around 1,700. <laughs> That's what they're called, rias. Sorry, rias. Um, uh, the $1,750 U.S. they found in a safe. He then asked the cops if he can go to the bathroom, and according to the police report, an officer noticed a large rectangular bulge under the senator's shorts as he walked away. <laughs> Could you imagine him going through? Here's some American money. Here's some Rias. What's this tube steak in here? <laughs> so, oh, I'm sorry. That's connected. <laughs> so he went. They, they, they realized this rectangular bulge found inside his underwear near his buttocks, according to the report, were stacks of money that totaled around $2,600 U.S. When asked whether he had any additional cash stowed in his underpants, the senator angrily shoved his hands into his underwear to retrieve more stacks of bills totaling $3,100 U.S. or $17,000. So the money was stuck behind his buttocks? Behind and in between a subsequent search, there's more. Not only three times, a subsequent search turned up another 250 riases for another $43. What, my, what, did, what did he say to them? Did he say, I have a life of crime, but it's behind me? <laughs> <laughs> so I know I threw a lot of numbers at you guys. So in case you're wondering, he stuffed over $5,700 U.S. in his underpants. My God, the, the, his, his butt looked at the big wad of money and said the buck stops here <laughs> <laughs> no the butt stops here <laughs> you can't make this stuff up no so if you have a news item you'd like for us to explore here on totally useless information with nick and roy simply don't, go we don't want to explore that i'll tell yeah. you <laughs> I don't want to yes. explore anybody's underwear other than maybe Heidi Klum. <laughs> and if anybody has change of change of a ten thousand rias, simply go to our website, Nick and Roy. <laughs> yeah. Go to nickandroy.com. That is all the time we have for this week's episode. Thank you very much for joining us. We will promise to scour the internet far and wide for more useless information for you guys next week. So, in the meantime, go to the website, uh, www.nickandroy.com. Tell a friend about the trend by sharing and subscribing, and we'll see you next week. I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. Thanks for listening. Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy is a production of nickandroy.com. Season 5 is coming soon. To access the full library of episodes, visit nickandroy.com.